This week on Tech Fan, David Cohen, Tim Robertson, and special guest Don McAllister from Screencast Online. It's Tech Fan number eight. And it's tech fan number eight. I'm your host, Tim Robertson. And the music you're hearing, take two, David. Who is it? Kevin Reeves. Kevin Reeves, that's right. Um, second time we started that intro and wasn't recording your side of the conversation that time. So it, kind of a good idea if I do that, don't you think? I think I think it works better that way. <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be a very odd podcast. Did you ever yeah. see the uh, the cartoon where they took out Garfield? Out of the cartoon, so it was just the guy talking to himself. It looked like that's right, and, and it made it made him look like a uh, somewhat mentally disturbed and sad individual. And it, and it was funnier; it really yeah. was funnier. So that would be the podcast if people listen to it. If we accidentally took you guys out, <laughs> um, we got a fan, or we got a fan. Oh my god, we got a yeah. guest. <laughs> he's never that's even heard the show, and yeah, all of a sudden, I'm just going to say he's a fan. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be one of those days. You know what it is? We, we're getting our first snowfall today. Really? Yes. Right. Already, it's the beginning of November, and there's snow out there. It's not sticking or anything, but it's coming down. And on the way home from Chicago, from my job at Mac Specialist, I drove through a hailstorm with golf ball-sized hail, and the entire highway, I-94, between Chicago and um West Michigan was just ice covered. I saw at least 25 cars in the ditch. So I think that's what it is. That's what's thrown my uh, my mental facilities into overdrive or something. But I think, I, I think we'll just bear that in mind. Yes. Uh, next, so I'm, next, time, next time over here we're complaining <laughs> about an inch of snow and the whole country grows to a halt. So I'm going to let you introduce our uh, a special guest today, David, because I yes, I, 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 I by a, a yeah I'm joined by a, a, a local chap, another another British guy who you may have heard on the other podcasts across the internet. It's uh, Don McAllister from Screencast Online. Yeah, hi there, hi hey. Tim, hi David. Hello, it's nice for you to join us. Uh, and and it, I think it's worth telling the listeners when I um, when I emailed Don and asked him to come on the podcast, and I told him when we would be recording, which is. Late afternoon on a Friday, he said, "How civilized." <laughs> Norm- normally, as uh, as Brits, if we're if we're on a podcast with American chats, we're uh, we're up late at night. So uh, is, it's normally a, a late night stand. So it's um, and, and normally your faculties are going by then anyway. So you, you're doing. In fact, a couple of times, I know uh, Chuck Joyner does a couple of really late ones now and again. And uh, a couple of times, I say, "Look, it's going to be much too late. I'll be uh, just not worth me." putting me on because i'll just be a bubbling wreck so uh, so this is great sort of mid-afternoon this is fantastic Absolutely. yeah well the the reason is i i have my own studio here in battle creek michigan don and um it's just me in the studio so when i'm here in battle creek i live in battle creek michigan but i work in chicago which is in nice weather about a three-hour drive and so mm-hmm. i spend uh, either three or four days in the chicago area and then i drive back home and i can record the show anytime i want when i'm home so it's kind of nice and I found that's pretty much the only way I'm going to get David on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not allowed to do the late nights anymore. It, it, uh, it has too much of an effect on my mood. Right. So I don't want to assume or presume that all the listeners know who Don McAllister is. I can't imagine that they don't. 
But again, I don't want to presume. So, Don, who are you and what do you do? Right. Okay. Um, yeah, Don McAllister. I'm. Um, uh, I run a service called Screencast Online, which is a, a weekly video podcast. It's been running now since 2005, so uh, it's been running quite a while. Um, every week, I do normally around a half an hour, half an hour to 40 minutes video tutorial, uh, really to help people get the most out of the Mac. So I, I do a screencast, which is a, a screen capture. Um, it's a video, but it's a screen capture of my desktop, and I walk you through. Um, various things. It might be Apple software. It might be you know some really nice uh, third-party utility. Uh, it might be a, a topic-based show, you know, about audio in the home or whatever, or um, uh, just basically share my experiences with the Mac and and share my knowledge of various applications with people, and uh, and people learn a lot from it. So that's the that's the weekly show that I do. I also do my blog, etc. But Screencast Online is my main gig, and I do it full time as well. So that's my my full time occupation now. And most people wouldn't realize how much time and effort you put into just even a small 15, 20-minute screencast. I mean, there's a lot of work that goes involved in, in screencasting. Yeah, yeah. It, it's quite an involved process. I mean, it would be great if we could just sit down for half an hour and, and chatter away for half an hour and then it was done. But it doesn't work like that. Um, because it's, it's, there's both free shows and paid shows as well. So with having the paid shows, I can do it full time. Then I can spend more time on the production. So what I tend to do is, is it takes me probably you know, two or three days minimum to, uh, to record the half hour show. And uh, I just make sure that um, you know it's 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 uh, of, of sufficient value to people, and I have fairly high production values, and I try and make it look nice. And it's you know, it, it it's yeah, it takes it as you say though. Video is hard, you know, it takes a lot of effort to get it just right, and um, it's also um, it's not scripted, but it's carefully planned through. So you know, it, there's it does definitely take a fine a line between the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I script a little tiny bit, just the beginning, but then I sort of plan what I want to cover, and then it's it's fairly, fairly natural the way I just go through. It's it's it should come across as though I'm just actually just sort of talking you through it. It's, uh, um, yeah, it's a trick I've I've discovered that although it's carefully planned out, it's not scripted, but you know it sounds very sort of conversational. I'm waiting for the episodes where you green screen yourself walking and stuff, so it's. A screencast with you walking on the screen and literally going up and touching the buttons. That would be fantastic. Yeah, live, live video, I don't do that much. I might do a little bit this week, actually, because I think I'm going to have a, I'm going to cover the MacBook Air um, oh. this week. Um, so, so you have you um, got a MacBook Air yet? I've got two. Oh. <laughs> I, mean, I was going to say, one of, one of the things we, uh, the, one of the advantages I get from, from following Don's work, not only is, it, is the screencast great, because if, if you're the sort of person like me who doesn't like reading a manual, watching one of his screencasts is brilliant because it really gives you an overview of everything and whatever he's talking about can do. Because he's pretty thorough, he goes through all the uh, ins and outs and the real nooks and crannies of a, of a program and, and demonstrates w- what, what they can do. And it's really fantastic for that. But, but also, uh, I mean, following Don on Twitter is a good way of keeping up on, on what's the latest in, in, in the Mac space because uh, you obviously as the nature of, of the screencast job, Don's obviously looking at all the hardware and, and all the latest software releases all the time. So he, he's, a good, he's a good go-to source if you want an opinion on something. Hey, Don, have you yeah. looked at screencasting using iPhone, iPad, how that would work? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I've done, I've done a, quite a few now. Um, well, let me qualify that. I've done a few iPad and iPhone screencasts, but to be honest, um, some of the audience don't particularly want me to do iPad and iPhone screencasts because it's a, it, it did start off as a Mac show. And I think in the early days, I was very enthusiastic about the iPad and the iPhone. I still am, obviously. 
but uh, I need to just temper it a little bit now so that I, I bring in the iPad and the iPhone normally when it fits in with something on the Mac. So if it's a software application that has both a Mac component. Evernote or something like that. Yeah. Got yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've sort of got the um, the technique down whereby I can do sort of high-quality screen captures now off, off uh, both the iPhone and also the iPad and work them into the show. So that works really well. Two topics I wanted to cover today, and I know, Don, you're kind of on a time crunch here, but the two topics are vendors writing reviews of their own products or products they sell. And the one I wanted to start with is the Mac App Store. Because that's been mm-hmm. getting a lot more play in the last week than I thought it would kind of die off until it was actually launched and then it would be the big thing everyone was talking about. But there's a lot of implications of a Mac App Store. I thought it'd be kind of fun to go through. And with you being a content provider, um, we'll start with you, Don. What do you think about this? Good for the industry? Bad for the industry? Uh, and there's really two industries. It's it's obviously the shareware software developers. Mm-hmm. Uh able to compete with the Mac App Store on a level footing with commercial developers, and then the users themselves. And then, of course, you can always talk about the best buys and the retailers who, why even bother to carry software at this point? Sure, sure. Right, okay. Well, although this topic has been out for a while, I've not actually pontificated about it on any podcast, so this is the first time I've actually been able to discuss it with anybody, so that's, uh, that's cool. Um, I mean, my, my good feeling is, well, first off, I'm quite surprised there has been more of an uproar because I think initially when the uh, prospect of a Mac App Store was, was originally touted, people were, were very vehement against, no, we don't want it, you know, we want to keep the Mac open. I don't think the fact that we're going to have a Mac App Store is, does now mean that the Mac's going to be closed. I agree. I don't think that's silly. You know, it's going to be the Mac Store plus developers can still develop their own stuff and, and, and sell it their own way. I, I think on balance, though, it, it's a good thing. I think it's an extremely good thing, both for consumers and also for developers as well. Um, one of the things that always confuses me, and, and this is the same for my screencasts, you know, is, is how do you reach the majority of the population who, who aren't Mac devotees, who aren't people who consume podcasts or, you know, uh, have RSS feeds with tons and tons of Mac news sites? How do you reach these several million people that are coming across the Mac platform every quarter that have never used a Mac before? Because, you know, and even the most popular Mac software doesn't sell to everybody because there's, there's this group of people who aren't Mac aficionados, who aren't sort of really into the Mac. And there's no real way to, 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 to get them. You have to sort of rely on them either by traditional advertising or word of mouth, expect them to come to your website so you can then sell them a product. I think with the, the Mac App Store, it's going to be somewhere that, you know, the average Joe can come to and, and have a look and see what applications are available for the Mac and, and purchase them. And that's going to be good for them. And it's definitely going to be good for the developers. I think it's going to drive the price of software down. I think it's going to follow not necessarily the 99 cent formula that the iPhone has kind of popularized, but the 299 to 999 popular pricing format that the iPad enjoys. Maybe even more, maybe even up to $15. But I think the ones yeah, that are really yeah. going to get a lot of attention, at least from me, and I can relate this directly back to the iPad, I buy a lot of 99, 299 stuff just because I'm browsing. I'm not looking for anything in particular. I see something, oh, that looks cool, click, it's bought, it's 99 cents, I don't even think about it. I don't even really think about two ninety nine. If it gets over 5 bucks, then I go, uh, I don't know. But then I look at, because I've got it linked to my PayPal account, then I go into my PayPal <laughs> account once a month and I go, holy crap, that's oh. actually really, that's real money. You know, I yeah, spent $75 last month on apps on my iPad that I may have used twice. 
Mm. Do you see that happen? Oh, I don't know. Probably 100. Yeah, well, that's the thing, though, isn't it? If you bought 100 apps um, today for the Mac, you'd probably be spending less than $1,000. Absolutely. And that's my question. Do you think that if the pricing structure follows suit, and developers realize I'll sell, you know, ten thousand at a buck ninety nine or three hundred at nineteen ninety nine. Do you think that they're going to go with the lower price to get, you know, more mass appeal? And do you think Mac users are going to follow the same kind of script that iPhone and iPad users and just try to buy? It's not even demo. It's just yeah, it's a dollar ninety nine. It's two ninety nine. No problem. Yeah, I think it, it it might drive prices down, but that will be offset by the increased sales, one would hope. So, so uh, I think that's something we're going to have to um, sort of see what happens. Um, I, I, diff- difficult to say, really. Difficult to say because it's still so early that, that we don't really know what the pricing strategy is going to be from people. And we've seen the i you know the iPhone and the iPad have have had a few little blips here and there when things have gone up and come down again. So um, that's something we're going to have to suck and see. I think. What do you think, David? I- well, I, I agree with, with what Don said. I think one of the things that kind of an, annoys me a little bit, particularly with the iPad at the moment, is the way the prices go up and down all the time on the applications. I, I use something called App Shopper to actually keep an eye on what's going on. Yeah, in, I use that change, too. Yeah, what's going on in changes in the App Store. Um, and it's kind of frustrating when you've paid, I don't know, Five ninety nine, six ninety nine for an app, and then you you find out um, a few week, a couple of weeks later, it's gone on sale and it's forty fifty percent off. Yeah, but that's um, always the case in any industry, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, but you it, go it, buy it, a brand new car, and then six months later, you can get you could have got zero percent financing, and you know. But you can if you if you if you watch the price changes of some apps, you can see it's where the developers are trying to find a level, so it will go up and down quite a lot over a space of a few months, and I don't think that's that's good from a consumer point of view. But um, this is still so a new industry. I think they're still learning themselves. Yeah, but I'd I'd, I'd hope that that will kind of settle itself down by the time the Mac App Store come on, comes along, because I think when people are buying applications for their computer as opposed for their iPhone or their iPad, they're going to want. Some, some more stability. And the other thing, of course, is you've got to remember that the real cost of software is not so much the development costs, it's the support costs. Yeah. And by taking on many, many more users, um, your support costs potentially could go up um, substantially. And it's how developers are going to deal with that challenge. That's like the uh, the twist in the tail of, of having a much larger marketplace. If, you, if you're used to supporting 300 users and all of a sudden you're supporting uh, 3,000, uh, all with you know with individual particular um, particular needs and requirements and problems, then that could be overwhelming if you're just a kind of a you know a one man or a two man development shop, uh, and it's, it's it's I think that's that's the thing that people are going to have to watch out for in terms of uh, how they price and how and how they deal with with potentially much larger sales for for of apps on the on the Mac App Store, but I think overall um, it's going to be a good thing. I, I would I would hope it will promote software development and um and software availability for the macintosh i do think that the over time the um the self the self-styled you know self from your own website um model will disappear just as a matter of inertia i mean why would you go to the effort i mean it, there is I, I look at this as the way podcasting changed when podcasting appeared in the itunes store oh, absolutely um, because obviously before that you had the whole complexity of uh, creating your own RSS feeds and making sure the files were in the right place and you everything. Still have and to do that with, uh, you still have to do that, yeah. but iTunes has simplified that an awful well, lot because it's standardized. No, what it's done, David, quite honestly, because, uh, you know, 
As you well know, we started podcasting in 2004, the same year this whole medium was invented. Before, I had to submit our podcast listing to 50 different websites in the hope that people would find it, including MyMac.com. And we had a built-in audience. We had a huge advantage that most podcasters did not have. But what iTunes did is it gave us a central location. Exactly. Um, And and for applications, it will be the same thing. Why would you run your own web service, your own website, your own e-commerce system to sell applications uh, direct to the public when you go through the App Store? And Or, okay, you'll you'll pay your 30% to Apple, but they take care of a whole load of the admin for you. Um, I think so over time, you know, you will find less applications available the the way they are today. Um, And that's going to be good for consumers because even even though it's much better than it is on Windows in terms of how you install applications on a Mac. It's still confusing. It's still confusing if you're not technical. I I have Um, an Aunt Dar and I've spoken about her a number of times on different podcasts as the Mac newbie. Well, she's not a newbie anymore, but she's still calling me all the time with very basic questions. And I invariably, every time I go over there to help her, I'll find 50, I don't know why, <laughs> aliases to Skype or to something that she downloaded, just littered all over the place. I don't know how she does it. I don't know why she does it. And neither does she. <laughs> but that's just think, it's the I way it is. Yeah, I think there still will be websites, though, because I still think they haven't cracked the, you know, how do you get trial software, et cetera. I can, I can visualize, you know, at the moment, um, even now if I go to the to the uh, the iPhone or the iPad store, there are always links to the developer's website. And I tend to, before I will purchase them, go over there and have a look around anyway. And I think that might be the way that they'll tackle things such as trial software. Yeah, but you're uh, an experienced even. user, Don. you got to think, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. how, how mm-hmm. your mother's going to... If there's oh, a, sure. one window where software, that's where she gets her software, how apt is she to jump on Safari and start looking for other stuff? I don't think very yeah, much. I think, that will just be, I think that will still be there, though, if people want to do that. You don't necessarily sure. have to do that. But yep. I think one thing they have to crack, though, is, is the, the whole search and how to expose the software. That's, uh, what, I'm, uh, that's what excites you know, me the most. Yeah. I mean, even after 15 years of publishing my Mac, almost 16 at this point, I, I'm a very experienced Mac user. I'm that's my job now. I mean, but finding new software that's worthwhile is so yeah. difficult on the internet, both Mac mm-hmm. and PC side. It's so difficult. Um, I'm not saying that the iPhone is necessarily better at doing that, but at least there's one central place that I go to find stuff. I mean, there's way too much crap. It's hard to find the quality stuff. Yeah, but that's, at least that's there's the one place I go to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It does. It does need to be improved. I, I do hope they do give the iTunes Store a really good revamp before they launch this. Not only the the searching, which is, is no, no, horrible. no, no. That's not going to be part of iTunes. This is going to be separate. Separate it's application. Not, it's, not, it's not going to be part of iTunes at no. all. Well, I hope they don't just copy the iTunes model then, because that would be a mistake. It does need to be substantially improved, and also the ratings also needs to be addressed because at the moment the ratings are just ridiculous. They're just not worth it at all. Because you'll, you'll get a one-star for rating from somebody who decides they don't like the look of the application, they've never actually bought it, or um, they were expecting it to do something that they didn't read in, the, in, the, uh, in the, the blurb at the top of the application, and then you'll get five-star ratings from people who are either ringers for, uh, for the developer or alternatively 
um, you know, just basically have an all-or-nothing approach. So either they absolutely love it, they absolutely hate it. There's well, as an experienced reasons. user yourself, David, do you pay attention to ratings in iTunes now? No. Well, no, I, I read the comments, um, but a lot of the comments aren't worthwhile either. In that's fact, true. I, 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 I rarely use the iTunes store for actually doing anything other than buying the app I want. Mm. Um, I'm actually using other sources such as App Shopper or um, other re- reviews and things on the internet to actually assess which application I want to buy. Um, and if I can't find that information and there's three apps that do the same thing, then like you were saying before, I'll probably buy all three of them and see which one I like the best. Don, you uh, download a lot of software, I know. Mm-hmm. What's it going to be like for you not to have to deal with serial numbers and, you know, well, unlock codes? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's one. Of the, that's going to be one of the good things, really. And I think, you know, sort of keeping up to date with your software as well. I mean, it was only a couple of months ago when I was uh, updating the iPad and, you know, there was lots of updates. I thought, wouldn't this be really fantastic if this was on the Mac? Oh. Because, you know, literally they just appear and they, they install themselves and you're up to date with the current level of software. So uh, I think that's going to be a real boon for people in, in that they, it will be so easy to keep up to date with current versions of software. What um, am I- and I think that... Go ahead. No, just gonna say it, it will take the pain away. I mean, the if you use something like One Password, I mean that does alleviate some of the pains because you can fill in your credit card details much too easily. But that's going to be even easier now because obviously they've got your credit card details already, so it's just a click of the button. So, has anybody found out if um, you can have yourself signed into the Mac App Store on multiple computers, and is there a limit? I mean, so personally, I have, if I'm including my wife's stuff, one. And the kids, two, three, four, five, six, seven computers that's in daily use. If I sign into the Mac App Store, can I re-download something for free because it's my account on multiple computers like I can with the iPhone? I can have a whole bunch of iPhones connected to my computer and they all have the same apps that I purchased. If I would imagine it's going to be something similar, uh, sort of connected yeah. to your iTunes account. But, but I mean, some developers may not like that because they don't, they, you know, they do license some of their applications. Sure. And a, again, they could go back to the way it is now. They don't have to follow Apple's rules. Yeah, but then you're, but then you're cutting yourself off from potentially a huge. Exactly. Market. So, w- this, this where's the, the benefit? But these, these are the, these are the things I think that. You know, beyond the superficial, oh, Apple can't do this. Apple is going to take control, close open, all of those arguments. These are the things that that may cause some disquiet once this kind of beds down, um, because uh, effectively, what Apple is doing is they're in, some of the policies they adopt will have these sorts of impacts in terms of what you can and can't do with software. I mean, you can't have trial away. You can't have um, you know uh, you can't have free applications. I no, you can have free applications, absolutely. You can have free applications, but you yep. can't have trial where you can't have upgrade. Um, paid upgrades. Uh, not kind of paid upgrades either. Um, what, what we've just said about licensing might potentially mean that you're defaulting giving users a multi-user license. Um, so so those, those are the sorts of things that, that kind of developers are going to have to kind of filter through and decide whether that large marketplace is, is, is an acceptable trade-off for, um, for those sorts of things. But I, I expect it will be successful. And um, we'll probably find many, many de- more developers, I think. Going back to my podcast analogy, I mean, I can see myself developing an, an application and putting it into the App Store because, um, you know, while I, I, I don't have the objective ski skill, C skills to be able to develop for the iPhone uh, or the iPad, 
I certainly have the skills in other languages that I could develop for the Mac, and one of the reasons I've never bothered doing that before is because I, I can't deal with the actual logistics of selling the application, whereas with the App Store I will be able to not worry so much about that. Not if so, it's not an Objective-C you want. Well, it depends. I mean, the, the iPhone allows you to use different frameworks um, with the revised uh, application. But guidance. it still has to be compiled. Yeah, directly. well, look, there are plenty of, it's real basic, there's plenty of other um, frameworks that allow you to develop compiled applications for the Mac. So that, that still would allow you to, to do that and access the App Store. I think what it really comes yeah. down to, and Don, you can answer this, do you trust Apple to do the right thing? Ooh, that's a that's a big question, really. Um, they're going to play it softly, softly, aren't they? They're going to they're going to play it very easily to begin with. Who knows what it's going to turn out like in in two three years time? Um, but I think I, I do think they listen. Um, I, obviously, they don't want to sort of uh, ostracize all the the developers out there. Although they've they've really not uh, been too worried about that in the past. I, I sort of remember <laughs> back to the uh, to the iPhone. Yes. Uh, at WWDC when they were going to launch everyone thought they were going to launch an SDK and then they said oh no you can just create web apps <laughs> so they're not uh, you know <laughs> they're not averse to doing that but um, yeah I think I think it's it's you know in overall it's going to be a good thing for everybody I, I think um, and the thing is as well is is that you know you've got all these new developers now obviously lots of Mac developers started to develop iPhone and iPad apps and they're quite familiar with the uh, with the store concept and it's easy for them and if they have a popular uh, application they can make some cash on it but it's also attracted a lot of people um, who never programmed for the Mac into iPhone and iPad development yes. and I can see them now um, you know it, it will have like a reverse halo effect that they now have the skills they've got the Objective-C and Xcode skills that they can develop apps on the iPhone and the iPad well it's it's not that f- you know further a step to start developing apps for the Mac itself well when you look um, at the entire piece in two or three years time I mean you know two or three years time whether or not yep. OS 10 is is now iOS 10 or something you know oh, it's this heaven of stuff well, yeah, but but you know, the, 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 they're making it more attractive for, for people who who perhaps never ever would have thought of developing for the Mac to uh, to become Mac developers through through this route of iPhone, iPad, and now Mac development. Um, you know, and the whole e-commerce thing is is handed to them on a plate, really. And, and also, as as you say, Don, it does it does mean that over time, if they do decide to coalesce down onto one platform rather than two, um, mm-hmm. they're probably going to find it a lot easier to do that than than the way things are at the moment. Uh, they, they're clearly putting for, after the last event we saw. They're clearly putting forward a strategy of actually um, trying to remove as many of the differences between the platforms as, as possible. And I think this is part of that. So maybe by um, you know OS OS ten ten point eight ten point nine, then then you will find something that that looks much much more, more and and is probably more compatible with iOS or iOS itself will become more like OS ten over time. The last aspect yeah. of this whole thing is. You look over the last two years, three years, and the Mac platform is gaining market share, not just in the U.S., but on a worldwide basis. More and more Mac users are joining the fry, and a lot of that is because of the iPhone, iPod, iPad. They they buy these devices. They really like them. I'm going to get a Mac the next time. I've seen it personally. And Apple's own um, press conferences say, you know, 50% of everyone going into a Apple Store and buying a Mac for the first time is a first-time Mac user, so that's very encouraging. Isn't it only a matter of time before viruses and malware and all the crap that PC users have had to deal with over the years, isn't it only a matter of time before that starts hitting the Mac hard 
and this is kind of a preemptive strike? It's possible. Yeah, it's possible. I, I think we've still got a way to go before um, the Mac is such a large target that people will, will want to do that. But yeah, by, by using this sandbox effect of, of uh, having the, the App Store and, and funneling apps through the App Store so they can vet them, etc., that's certainly one way to cut that down. Um, so probably it is a step in the right direction. Yeah, I, I must admit you you've hit a, a quite a, a salient point with me there, Tim. I'm I've thought for about two years now that the time is coming when the first kind of really big Mac vulnerability gets found and, and exploited. And yep. it, unfortunately, because we don't run antivirus software, um, yep. if it if, if an if an exploit is found, and it probably won't be a software exploit, it's probably going to be something via Safari. Um, if an exploit is found that, that is really exploitable without interacting with the user, um, it's probably going to rip, rip through um, the Mac user base like absolute wildfire, and it's going to be a big problem. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that, I think that will happen at some point because it, it's just getting, it's getting it's too getting large too now. Popular and, yeah, yeah, it's getting way too well, much I- traction. Yeah, actually, one thing you said there, Tim, actually, it, it sort of feeds into this, and that's the, you know, the, the increase in the market share. I mean, before the iPhone and the iPad, uh, you know, you had the PC and the Mac and, you know, everybody used a PC. Well, from a UK perspective, everybody used a PC and work. And, uh, oh, same in the, the US. Yeah, well, the, and the Mac was this exotic thing. And, and there was a real barrier to, to switching from Mac to PC, from PC to Mac because it was such an unknown quantity. Whereas now people have got iPhones and iPads and they, 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 they're seeing, you know, how easy they are to use. Uh, and they're also, they will in future, I see, uh, see some sort of... Um, crossover between the Mac and the iOS devices and that's that's only going to increase the take up of the Mac even more I think so I think the market share although it is in, in increasing I think that's going to accelerate so over the next three or four years you'll actually see that the uptake of, of Mac computers um, you know rapidly accelerate I would and, think. and I think as well I mean the uh, new MacBook Air particularly the 11 inch price where it is they are going to sell a ton of those I mean, I think it's going to make quite a substantial difference to Apple's market share very quickly mm. because, you know, it's it's such a great machine and people are going to say, uh, I, you know, I've already heard people saying, okay, well, I could spend, you know, in the UK uh, place, you could say, well, I'm, I can spend £500 on a PC or um, if I save up a little bit more, I could spend £850 and have an 11-inch MacBook Air. People are, they're just going to fly off the shelves, they really are. Let's take a quick break and hear from our brothers over at the MyMac.com podcast, and we'll be right back with Don McAllister, David Cohen, and me, Tim Robertson. Greetings, it's Guy. And Gaz, the G-Men from the MyMac.com podcast. Our podcast has been going strong since 2004, talking about all things Mac and Apple. With great guests and listener invites, so there's never a dull moment. The MyMac.com podcast, irrelevantly relevant. Find us on iTunes. Just do a search in the podcast section with MyMac. Subscribe and prepare to be entertained. And we're back. Thank you very much, Guy and Gaz, the G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast. And, of course, TechFan is also part of the MyMac.com family. And I know that because... Well, I own my Mac.com and I own TechFan. So. <laughs> and, of course, you guys, make sure you check out the App Minute with Sam Levin. It's a two- to three-minute podcast. comes out two to three times a week, and he talks about everything iOS, uh, supposedly Droid, Android, and all that, but it's just iOS so far. 
so, Don, you said earlier in the show that you have two MacBook Airs. Oh yeah, we didn't explain that, did we? No, yeah, I just I just well. figured you're a multimillionaire at this point, so you <laughs> yeah. buy two of everything. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, yeah, I've got two, um, but one. Well, the the backstory is that obviously when they came out, to be I used to have one of the original MacBook Airs when they first came out, and I used to love the machine, although it was just it was too slow and, and the screen real estate was too limited. So um, although I kept it for a year and I was, I was fairly happy with it, I, I upgraded to a MacBook Pro. And then when the um, when when the new MacBook Airs came out, I said, "Great, love the form factor, but you know the last one didn't quite cut it for me." And now I've upgraded to a 15-inch MacBook Pro, so thanks, but no thanks. And then as the initial reviews started to come in, and and people started to say, you know, this SSD uh, creates, uh, you know, turns it literally into a different machine, and it's so fast. And um, and the, the clincher for me was that the the screen is actually the same resolution, even though it's a 13 inch screen, it's the same resolution as the 15 inch MacBook Pro. I thought, hmm. So I, I sort, of, uh, sort of slowly came around to thinking, well, actually, that 13 inch MacBook, Pro, uh, MacBook Air would actually do me down to the ground. So I actually um, decided to go ahead and get one of those to try it out. But then at the same time, I thought, um, because I have done this in the past with the show with Screencasts Online, I have done when the iPad came out, I actually. Um, got an iPad for myself and also gave one away as part of a price draw. So what I decided to do, because the 11-inch was uh, such a, a relatively low price, that Absolutely. I'd go ahead and get an 11-inch and, uh, and give that away and as to, to a, a one lucky Screencast Online member. So it's a bit of a promotion, to be honest. I'm going to be doing a prize draw at the end of the month. So, um, anybody, so. anybody who's who's a member of Screencast Online between... Uh, not not necessarily new members, but effectively everybody well, who's user base. Yeah, that's right. So any anyone who's an existing member and anyone who joins between now and the thirtieth of November uh, will just be entered into a prize draw, and I'll pick the lucky winner out of a hat, and they'll get this nice eleven-inch MacBook Air. And I take you happy to send that anywhere it needs to go. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It can go anywhere. Yeah, that's not that's not an issue. Okay, so yeah. uh, so, so uh, you, you guys down at the South Pole, listening <laughs> down there at McMurdo, if you fancy a MacBook Air, then get yourself uh, registered. So how would they uh, come across your website and register, and how much does it cost? And oh, okay. Um, well, that's what do that now since we're talking about it in yeah, English, right? All right then. <laughs> well, if you go to screencastonline.com/slash/extra, uh, you can go to screencastonline.com and see the latest show. I've just done a show today about uh, Scrivener, which is actually a free show. Um, and basically, I do a show every week. One show a month is free, but the other three are just for members. So go to screencastonline.com to see some of the shows that I've done recently. Uh, if you go to screencastonline.com slash extra, and there's a link on the main page that takes you there. That's the sort of membership details. Now, it's, um, it's $57 for a three-month membership, and then it drops down to $25 for six months. So the, the, the reason for the higher price when you first join is that you, you get access to um, well, it's over 270 uh, wow. tutorials now. And get immediate access to and download, and that covers everything from, you know, iWork, iLife, you know, all the really nice, good third-party utilities, uh, hints and tips. There's tons and tons of content there that's, uh, uh, you know, it's freely available once you become a member. Um, but what I actually I was speaking to David before. What I've actually done though is to set up um, a discount code so that if anyone uh, who, who listens to TechFan wants to join up at a discount, I've set up a special uh, coupon code for. Uh, tech fan listeners, I uh, can get thirty percent off that fifty-seven dollars. That's awesome! Uh, and yeah. yeah, just use the, uh, the coupon code TechFan30. So TechFan30 uh, when you sign up, and you'll get thirty percent off that and, uh, initial joining fee. And I have to say, if you're listening to this show, you're obviously a fan of technology. Um, and if you want to learn how to use more programs, if you want to get really good at your Mac, this is a great podcast. To, I 
Don, I, I have to uh, admit that I'm not a paying customer because, quite honestly, my days are just so swamped lately. Sure, uh, sure. But I have watched many of your free ones. I'm just mm-hmm. amazed at the quality. It's just fantastic. And every single one I've ever watched, I've always learned something. So even if an, a very experienced Mac user such as myself can learn something, imagine what a non-experienced Mac user could do with well, it. Well, that's right. I mean, the, 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 the viewership is, is really mixed. I mean, I've got people like yourself who've been using the Mac for years and years, and they say the same. They, they always pick up at least you know a couple of things in each show. But the, the idea really, because there's one a week, it's a lot to keep up with. So the idea is that you know it mightn't be every show that's going to be... Uh, applicable for you to to look but you know you've got access to the back catalog so that when the time does come for you to say go back and you want to check on something you can just have a look at that particular show but um yeah so i get lots and lots and lots of feedback from people and also as well you know people are busy people really i mean i'm fortunate in that i do this full time so i can sit down and trawl through the latest software updates and and have a look at the new software as it comes out and we need someone to do that though as mac users we need someone yeah and a lot of people just haven't got the time or the inclination to do that but they they tend to rely on screencast online now as a bit of a recommendation engine so they know that because uh, i only ever cover stuff that that i would personally recommend so they know yeah. that if it's on there it, it's you know it's a good piece of software it's got your so they stamp can, of approval yeah, yeah yeah it's like a filtering mechanism so they can they can just see what comes up on this week's show and and, uh, and the thing is you, yeah you can read a review of online particularly of a complicated program um, and sometimes, I mean, occasionally you can spot them, but sometimes it can be hard to tell whether this is somebody who's actually used the program in earnest and, and got something out of it, whether it's somebody who's just regurgitating the manufacturer's press release. Sure. Whereas sure. the difference is with Screencast Online, you actually, you know, you're actually seeing the program being used, so it's like actually having somebody demonstrate it to you. So yeah. it really I'm a gives you a much user. better idea. Yeah, I'm a visual learner myself. I, if I could yep. see someone do something, I, I go, okay, I got it, no problem. If <laughs> I like the visual quick start guides, don't get me wrong. Uh, the missing manual series is fantastic. But I would rather watch something. I, I, I tell this story to a lot of people uh, who ask, how did I learn how to uh, use Final Cut Pro? Well, honestly, I went to uh, YouTube and I spent a day trolling every free tutorial I could find on Final Cut Pro. And that's how I learned. It wasn't from a book or a tutorial. I didn't pay for classes. I just watched YouTube videos for a day. Um, you could find you know three or four different videos on the same subject from different skill levels, and that's how I learn. So if, you know, I, I, if a lot, I think a lot more people are like me than not when it mm-hmm. comes to visual learning. So Screencast yeah. Online is just perfect for them. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a really good way to learn things. And of course, if I know I'm going to be doing a show about something, I will sort of go a bit more in depth to understand what the package does. And and, and in that respect, I sometimes pull out things that just a casual user mightn't actually appreciate about a particular application, you know, because I sort of take it apart and examine it, see how it works, what it fits into everything. And then I can then relay that, you know, in the show, something that, you know, someone just on a casual look mightn't have picked up a, a particular function that an application does. And I, I do like sort of, I like to sort of do a little bit of a wow factor as well. If I can find something in, a, in an application that I think is really great, I get very enthusiastic about it and, and like to sort of relay that in the show. So, yeah, it goes down very well. And I imagine the developers love you for it. <laughs> well, again, yeah. <laughs> it's like free advertising yeah. for them, really. Well, it's, it's, it's a win-win all around, to be honest, because if I do – I mean, I only do a sponsored show. I, I do actually um, – take sponsorships like again the one i did today is a, is a free show and that was actually sponsored by uh, literature and latte the developers of of um 
of Scrivener. But the way that happened was I, I've been using Scrivener for ages. I, I really liked it. I knew version two was coming out. So I approached them and said, look, I'd like to do a show about Scrivener. I believe version two is coming out. You know, do you want to sponsor uh, one of the free shows? Because that will go to a wider audience. They said, yeah, of course. And it's done completely independently of the vendor as well. If ever there is a sponsorship, they basically uh, don't have any, well, I tell a light, they do have an input. And what I tend to do is say, look, what's your main support issues? You know, what do people struggle with? And if there are issues that people struggle with, I'll, I'll try and address them in the show. But they have no sort of editorial, you know, that they don't tell me to say anything. It's, it's all very much my take on, on their particular application because that's how it works best. You know, it's a, it's a fresh pair of eyes. I can see how it's going to be useful for someone who's not intimately involved with the development of it. So Absolutely. I, I sort of give a, you know, fresh view. I think that's a good segue into the other segment I want, or the other segment I wanted to talk about today, and that was companies, and I'm going to name names here, um, companies reviewing products that they either make or sell. In this case, they sell. Um, for many years, Small Dog Electronics was a big sponsor of MyMac.com and the podcast, as you probably will remember, David. I do, yeah. Uh, and I still have a great relationship with Small Dog. Um, I, I talk to the owner all the time, Don. He's a great guy. Yeah, in fact, my last interview for the MyMac uh, show was, was, with Don. was with him, yep. talking about MacWorld. Yeah, and that was a little bit of a controversial interview, too. You didn't, was, uh, yeah. you didn't uh, treat him with kid gloves, and I think that was great. Well, he had a strong opinion, and yep. uh, I wanted to push against that and find out you know, quite where the boundaries of that, of that lay, and, and uh, I think he appreciated the fact that I did that. And I enjoyed the listening as a listener on that episode. I really enjoyed listening to it. So I saw a link on Twitter um, from somebody at Small Dog about the review of the MacBook Air 11-inch. So I clicked it, and it was actually an incorrect link, and I sent them a, a message saying this was wrong. Here's the actual link. And I read the review, and then I thought, now hold on a minute. I like Small Dog Electronics, don't get me wrong, but they sell the MacBook Air. Is it appropriate for a reseller to publicly review a product that they sell. And if they do, could they could it really be an honest review? So I asked Don via iChat, you know, how how can you justify this? And he says, "Well, we've been doing reviews for a long time." And I said, "That's not really my question. I know you have, but you're a reseller. Isn't any review of a product you sell inherently going to be positive because your ulterior motive is to sell more of this product. That's how you make your money. And he said, well, we never said it was an unbiased review. So there's my question to you. Let's let's start with you, David. Yeah. Should companies that sell a product review a product without full disclosure? And can you trust a review when they say we're not unbiased? I, I'd, I'd like to try try and answer that by flipping it round and saying that I think you need to always approach any any material uh, that, you, that you come across whether it be in a newspaper, be it on the on a TV show, be it in a podcast, a video podcast, you need to try and come of it, come at it and say is, is the person creating this material, do they have an angle? Do they have an objective? Um, and and do, why even even um, unconsciously might that objective have biased the, the way they're putting this material forward. I agree with you uh, on that, David, no. but let's be honest. Uh, most users, most buyers aren't going to be as sophisticated as that. No, no, and, and I, I appreciate that. Um, 
I mean, not everybody is sceptical of what they see in the media. And right. By the media, I'm talking very generally there. you got to speak up a, lot, a little a lot, bit. We lost you a tiny bit there. A lot, a lot of people, you know, will take advertising at face value. Yes. The difference is nine, nine times out of ten, we know what advertising is. And my view is that if somebody is reviewing, um, is reviewing something they sell um, and they – and they and somebody internally to that organization is reviewing something they sell then they do need to disclose the fact that it is effectively advertising and and i would expect them to say this is advertising it's not they did it this was on their blog it wasn't on the product page and if you were simply googling review of 11 inch macbook and came across this you may not even be aware that they're a reseller this is this is this is my difficulty. Is that unfortunately, you know, if you see that sort of thing in a print magazine, it will normally, by law, have to say somewhere uh, this is an adver- ad- advertising feature or something mm-hmm. like that on it. Whereas, unfortunately, the internet um, has has kind of has not embraced that kind of full disclosure. And and you're quite right. The, the nature of a blog, when you read a blog, you've no idea who's writing it and and what they're necessarily their background in in the in what they're talking about is and you know unfortunately it is a, a little case of uh, caveat emptor you need to kind of understand that because you just in the same way you can read a blog by somebody and they might be talking completely um you know completely out the back of their neck they know nothing about the topic they're expounding on um by the same token they may have a hidden agenda um, I, I, I think it's a bit disingenuous of, of, um, of Don at Small Dog to say, uh, well, we didn't say it wasn't biased because um, by the same token, they didn't, they didn't state what the possible biases could be. And if one of his employees has written a review of a product he sells, there is a conflict, potential conflict of interest there that I think should be at least put forward for the reader's consideration. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I think it's all down to disclosure again, isn't it? You know, that's um, I, I, there are a couple of things really. The 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 fact I know we're discussing specifically resellers, um, but I think as David touched on, there there's also the the problem of you know advertisers. If if you're running a site or a blog that relies on advertisers, and you're then um, reviewing a product that your ad, one of your advertisers is involved in, again, that's a that's a grey area, and you know we need full disclosure that that's the case. I think with um, with specific products. Um, if it's a, a generic product, you know, you mentioned specifically the, the MacBook Air. I mean, yes, they they probably do they do sell that, but you can get it from anywhere. Basically, you know, it's 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 not as though you're uh, restricted to buying it from them. I think I'd be a little bit more unhappy or more um, ha- more suspicious if it was a, a niche product that they were reviewing and didn't really fully disclose that you know they were one of the few resellers that actually sold this particular item yes but it's uh, the company that's product. promoting the review on twitter mm-hmm. and facebook hey we reviewed this product with a link to that blog you go there you read it you get excited about the product the implication is you're going to buy it from them yeah i i, I the difficulty i have is that unfortunately um there seems to be kind of a and and this is this is now it's working backwards from the internet back into the uh, other media outlets as well. There seems to be an implication that if it's on the internet, then kind of the normal processes and rules wouldn't don't need to apply. So if it's advertising, it doesn't need to, need to be declared as such. If it's 
opinion. It doesn't need to be stated as such. You can present it as fact or as news or as journalism. Um, and you've seen this in the main media outlets where they started taking uh, Twitter feeds and um, blogs and that sort of thing and, and pushing those forward as, as fully researched articles when they're not. Right. Uh, and and, and it, I think it's a real endemic problem with um, media created on the internet is everyone seems to think that the normal sort of rules of probity don't appear to apply and and I, I, I really am very very uncomfortable with that because as I say it's now starting with, it's starting a general slide in standards right across the media industry I can tell you from my perspective as someone who's been um, a publisher for 15 years in the tech field specifically uh, Apple and Macintosh as a company that we took advertising, I always, always erred on the side of the reader yeah, uh, or with the podcast, the listener. Um, I always told companies that wanted to advertise, especially if I knew that we had a review in progress of their certain product, that there's a brick wall a thousand feet tall between advertising and uh, content. And I cannot let any advertising affect any of our content. Now, I could say that publicly, but that doesn't necessarily mean uh, it's true. So I've always let the, the actions of our site speak for itself. Yeah. Um, and, when and I started with, with Otherworld Computing, we reviewed a lot of OWC products over the years. Many, many, many years. Many, many, many products. When I started there... Uh, and I, I think you were still on the internal mailing list at the time, David. Yeah. Um, I sent out the, the email to the entire staff that my Mac cannot review OWC products going forward. That was my choice, not because I you know, had a, a less of an opinion of OWC, quite the opposite. I just saw a huge conflict of interest. I own MyMac.com. MyMac.com is reviewing OWC products, which, oh, by the way, Tim Robertson is doing on-air videos and podcasts and post-production, and he's basically pitching this product as a salesman. There's an inherent conflict of interest there that I think hurts my Mac and OWC. So yeah. Don,, I, can I? Yeah. I, I, just on, on that point, Don, have you ever had to uh, kind of come down hard on a potential sponsor and, and sort of explain to them the way you like to do things? No. Or has everyone please. been really, really understanding on that? Yeah, to, to, there's only. I think in all the years I've been doing sponsored shows, there's only ever been one vendor who wanted to just vet um, <laughs> or, or just just overview. You know, be, because I do it in isolation, um, they, yeah. they just wanted to double check that I hadn't got anything wrong and and, and it was fair, which is fine. You know, it's not a problem. I, I've been very confident in what I've done, and, and there wasn't an issue. But uh, uh, conversely, there was there was once I, um, uh, I I took on a, a show for a product I hadn't seen before, um, but I wanted to see it first before I finally committed to doing the show about it, and I had to refuse them in the end because I, I didn't think it was of, uh, you know, the, the product itself uh, didn't wasn't up to spec, basically. It, it didn't really do what it said it, sh- it should do, and uh, I, I just said, no, thank you. But So uh, so what you're doing with that approach is you're effectively tying your brand to um, to the quality of, of, of your content. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. so obviously it would be to your disadvantage to 
you know, take an incentive or to yeah. uh, take copy oh, yeah, from yeah. from a supplier because obviously that would devalue your brand and obviously your business is is ultimately well. That's what right. I mean, and the, the thing the thing with working on the internet is is openness and transparency and, and honesty and trust. They're so important. Oh yeah. Um, especially you know when you're expecting people to to pay for things on the net now. I know it's a lot easier now than it used to be, but you know people were so suspicious about. Uh, uh, you know, handing money across via your credit card to this online business. You know, I still remember people big... saying, I will never buy anything online. Yeah. I, I oh, still yeah, know yeah, people yeah. Find, I, yeah. You know, I, I know people go to enormous lengths to go and yeah. buy things from shops. And I always say to them, so, well, why don't you just, you know, order it from Amazon or some, someone like that? And they, they go, no, yeah. I, I, can, I, don't, I so, don't like to shop yeah. online. So, I mean, back to, you know, to, to me personally, I mean, I, I couldn't actually do a show about a project I didn't believe in because people, people would pick up on it straight away. Um, you need to, to be confident in, in, the, in the project that you're, you're teaching people. Uh, as I say, it's, it's now a recommendation engine now. So, right. you know, I, I, one, I wouldn't feel comfortable about doing it anyway. And secondly, I couldn't do it because, you know, people would, would see through it straight away. Uh, again, because I'm the only presenter on Screencast Online, people, it, it sounds weird, but people know me now. They, they know oh, my, absolutely. My you know, they, and, they know my approach. And you're and not doing product reviews. I mean, it, it's a totally no, different that's beast. True. That's, that's true. And I, I will never do um, a two-product review. People have asked me, oh, can you do a show about this and this and compare them and say which one you like and which one you don't like? And it, does, it, never, it doesn't work. It so doesn't fit I, in your I, format. I, no, it doesn't fit with me at all now. Yeah. And there's plenty of other and sites it, and, and that sort of thing that will do it. Oh, I'm yeah, getting an yeah. echo <laughs> myself back from you. <laughs> In fact, there's been a couple of occasions whereby it, it's caused me a bit of conflict because, um, um, again, I won't mention, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's no big deal. Um, I did um, OmniFocus uh, for task management uh, a long time ago, and it was, you know, it was, it was a, it's a fantastic product. Uh, it's like a Rolls-Royce of, of uh, GTD systems. They make great stuff. They make yeah, it's brilliant, really, really good. But I found it, after I'd done a couple of shows about it and was enthusiastic about it, I, I found it to be sort of be getting harder and harder to use it because it was sort of getting in my way slightly. And then Things came out, which is another GTD application. Yeah, yeah. And then I sort of said, right, I'm going to do a show on Things now. And then people said, well, hang on a minute, you've already recommended OmniFocus. Now you're recommending Things. Which one is it? And I said, well, to be honest, they both do a similar thing, but in a completely different way. So if you want sort of, um, you know, really good, strong industrial strength project management type activities and GTD activities, OmniFocus is perfect. If you want something a bit more lightweight so that you can just get on with, you know, day-to-day -day things, things is perfect. And now I'm sort of back on OmniFocus now because they've got the iPad application. So it's, it's, it's a difficult path to take, but, you know, I'm, I'm always honest and open with people, and this is, this is, this is why I'm on this particular application this yeah, time around, yeah. even though I might have covered another application, you know, 12 months down the line. That's the thing. That's the, opinions do change, don't they? So, oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. If, it, if it is your opinion, you've got a right to kind of reflect and, and change it and, and amend it as time goes on. We're getting a huge We're getting echo from huge. Don. Uh, um, so unplug uh, your so USB I'll, device yeah. and plug it back in. Uh, easier said than done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to wrap up the oh, show anyways. So, um, Don, uh, give out your contact Don, information where they can find you online. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's, uh, well, if you can find me on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash Don McAllister, you can find my blog over at the com, And, of course, you can find me over at screencastonline.com for the main show. And don't forget that uh, uh, discount coupon of TechFan30 to get 30% off uh, a membership and enter yourself into the competition for the 11-inch uh, MacBook Air. Awesome. David, where are you at on Twitter? 
Uh, I'm David B. Cohen on Twitter. Oh, you got a cool Ooh, echo going cool. on, though. Any cool projects upcoming from you? Um, to be honest with you, I'm just trying to keep real life going at the moment. Yeah. Um, so uh, not an awful lot of time for tinkering. Uh, hopefully, in the next when we get up to the tools of Christmas break, I might have a bit more time for, for something like that. Though, if I could engineer a way to... Uh, I, I, we walked past the Apple store yesterday. Um, I was with my family, and I, I did try and guide my wife to where the MacBook Airs were so she could see them. But, um, she wasn't uh, having to try, any Well, I'm looking, I'm looking for spousal approval of a potential <laughs> purchase. Uh, but unfortunately, she yeah. wasn't having any. She no. was saying, what do I want to look at that for? You're not buying one. Good, good for her. <laughs> good for her. That's, she's absolutely right, too. That's funny. And, uh, of course, make sure you check out MyMac.com for the latest in uh, whatever we're doing over at MyMac.com because we don't do news. So I'm not going to say find out what's going on the latest in the Macintosh world because this isn't a show about just Macintosh. It was kind of that way today, but um, not completely. So, Don, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. David, as always, uh, we're recording the same time next week. If you could do it, David. Yep. And uh, we still need to do our show on audio gear. We do, yes. That would be fun. So for Don and David, I'm Tim. We'll see you next week. <laughs>